cute pastor Tom. Uh, you're supposed to lower expectations, so if it's so-so, then they think it's good. You know? <laughs> All right. Um, so this week, we continue to talk about one of the greatest gifts God gives us, the gift of his presence. So let's go ahead and jump into our reading, which is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 44. Uh, take a minute and open it up in your pew Bibles. Uh, I'm a newbie and forgot to put the numbers up there, so you're going to have to look it up yourself. Sorry. <laughs> At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So bear with me. I'm used to kind of preaching to the 10-year-old versions of you guys. <laughs> so we're going to give it a go. Uh, we're going to spend a day talking about the fact that God's presence brings power. What exactly does God's presence brings power mean? I think we have probably all experienced an earthly example of this, but just didn't realize it. Who here has had a moment that took their breath away? Most of us are married. Come on, we saw the bride coming down the aisle. Guys, that's your moment. <laughs> but I think this happens to me more often than the average Joe. My wife would probably tell you it's because I am easily amused. <laughs> For me, though, it happens to, uh, out in nature a lot. In the midst of God's creation, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Incredible, breathtaking. I went in college. I looked back through my life, and this is literally, apparently, the only picture I took at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> so that's pretty neat. Had that's, some, that's Titanic. That's right? Titanic. That's one of my buddies. That's my sweet fashion sense in college. We're good. We're just going to bring it all out today, guys. <laughs> How about the beautiful pink sand beaches of Bermuda? And a less embarrassing picture. How about a sunset over the great smoky mountains? These are all beautiful places, and the sight of them can take our breath away. You could even say that they make you feel God's presence, but that is nothing compared to the power of God's presence. The power of God's presence is so much more than a brief moment of having your breath taken away. So let's try again. Let's look for something a little stronger. For me, that keeps me out in nature. Let's head out to the mountains in the middle of winter and make our way to the ski slopes. Uh, again, we see the sweet fashion down here on the bottom left. I don't know if any of you ski, but getting off that lift and preparing to ride down the mountain is more than just a fleeting moment of awe. As you come up to the top of your lift, your breathing slows and your heart rate raises. But an undeniable feeling of calm takes over your entire psyche. A combination of the view looking down on God's great creation, the lick of the crisp wind on your exposed cheeks, and the taste of that fresh mountain air leads the skier to a feeling few moments can replicate. Maybe for you it isn't skiing. Maybe it's catching a trophy fish or baking the perfect cake. Or eating the perfect cake. <laughs> or that runner's high. Pay me. 
a picture of me running the marathon. Isn't that supposed to be next? <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> so let's be totally honest. I don't know anything about a runner's high, but some of you maybe have experienced that. <laughs> Regardless, we have all felt the power of a moment, but that is still just a taste of the power of God's presence. There is only really one experience I can think of that even comes close to the power of God's presence. And it was the second best day of my life. For that, we had to take a trip up north about three hours from here to the frozen tundra at Lambeau Field. A few weeks ago, Cassie and I were blessed with the opportunity to be ambassadors for the Green Bay Packers versus Oakland Raiders game at Lambeau Field. What that meant was we got to park about 50 feet from the stadium. Hooray for laziness. That might have been the best part of the entire trip. <laughs> After that, we walked down and waited right where the players went in and off the field for warm-ups. Cassie was amazed how big they were. I was amazed that really they were all just the same size as me. <laughs> This was the place where we had to put on our super cool gold jackets. And after watching those players run on and off the field for pregame warmups, our moment was upon us. It was our responsibility to form the tunnel the players would run out through to start the game. The game was on the line. We could not screw it up. The pressure was on. I could not fall over. But as soon as we stepped out on that field, everything changed. All my senses were heightened. I could feel every blade of grass beneath my feet. I could hear the individual screams of 80,000 plus fans looking up at the names, lying in the field. You couldn't but help but feel like you were a part of something great. Hudson, Nitschke, White, Star, Favre. You could feel the power. You could feel the 13 world championships. It was all a blur. The players ran out through the tunnel we made. I bent down to touch the end zone grass. I was one with the field. Then they played the national anthem with the giant flag and the flyover. It really was an out-of-body experience. I felt the power of the moment, but yet it was over in a flash. I was left with nothing but the memories and some paint on my fingers. Now, Ted, Pastor Tom, I understand some of us haven't felt this way since 1985. <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But still, we all understand. There's that moment there for all of us, whether it be the Packers or skiing or running or whatever it might be. We've all felt that moment that was truly special. But all of these are just worldly experiences and moments. They're great, but they pale in comparison to the biblical examples of the power of God's presence. The Bible is chocked full of examples of the power of God's presence. So let's step into the Word and look at a few examples starting with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. The story of Daniel starts with King Darius appointing three administrators to oversee his land. One of those administrators was Daniel. Daniel was good at his job, so good, in fact, that King Darius was planning to put him in charge of all the other administrators. So at this point, life is good. Daniel's living his best life. He is leading Darius' kingdom, and he is leading it well. But... 
Humanity is about to run its course. The other administrators were jealous of Daniel, so they looked for grounds to get Daniel removed. But Daniel was an honest man, and they could find no reason to get him fired. So rather than move on, they devised a plan. They played to King Darius's ego and convinced him to pass a law that no one could worship anyone but King Darius, knowing full well that David was a man of God and would continue to worship him. The penalty for noncompliance was being thrown in the lion's den. So what did Daniel do? He continued to worship. We've all heard this story. We know what that means, and so did Daniel. Anyone caught worshiping anyone other than King Darius would be thrown to the lions. And these are not cute and cuddly lions like Simba and Nala from Disney's The Lion King. These are not the eternally hapless Detroit lions. These are the big, scary, fully grown, haven't been fed for weeks, eat you in a matter of seconds lions. And yet Daniel prayed and gave thanks to the Lord. What faith. So... At this point, the other men went and spied on Daniel in order to catch him in the act of worshiping God, which they did, and they ran to King Darius to tell him and make sure Daniel was thrown to the lions. Seriously? You guys all have kids? What a bunch of tattletales. So from here, let's actually jump into the words of the Bible. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. They said to Daniel, or the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Notice how Darius says, may your God rescue you. Right before this point of the story, it talks about the distress Darius experiences when finding out Daniel was worshiping God. Right now, Darius is going through a moment we've probably all experienced, that moment when we realize we've made a giant mistake. Darius realized he had been manipulated into what would be the biggest mistake of his life. But rather than swallow his pride and admit his mistake, humanity prevailed and Daniel would be thrown into the lion's den. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, and without sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered. He's alive. That is incredible. This is the power of God's presence. He is stronger than the instincts of a, of a pack of starving lions. Now remember, these lions were bred to kill and starved to make them ferociously hungry. On his own, Daniel was done for. The average male lion weighs over 400 pounds. And there was more than one of them in there. And I'd venture to guess Daniel probably wasn't even my size. He was a goner. But the mere presence of God was powerful enough to save him. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave the orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. 
At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Before they even reached the floor, if there was any doubt, these lions were hungry and ferocious and ravenous. This is laid to rest right here. These lions were hungry. The only reason Daniel survived was God. So then, King Darius wrote to all the nations and people of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus of the Persian. Not only did the presence of God save Daniel from the lion's den, it also changed the heart of King Darius and led to the Lord being praised across the kingdom. That is power. How about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? This story starts with another king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a bone to pick with the Jews and made a decree that anyone who heard the sound of music had to bow down and worship an image of gold. If anyone didn't fall down and worship the image of gold, they would be thrown into a blazing furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the image of gold, and some astrologers came, saw them, ratted them out to King Nebuchadnezzar. Seriously, what's up with tattletales in the Bible? Thought we got over that at about age 10. The three men were called in front of the king, and in all his generosity, he gave them one more chance to worship the idol. Not only did they refuse, they actually told the king that God would save them from the fiery furnace. Needless to say, this angered King Nebuchadnezzar, and that is where we hop into the book of Daniel. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Remember, this is the furnace that they use already to kill people. Now we're going seven times hotter. <clears throat> and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, I don't know how hot that furnace actually was, but I can tell you with all certainty, it was hot. It was so hot, it literally had killed the dudes standing next to it. This is not your summer bonfire. It was hot, and that is hot. I mean, I had to wait a half an hour this morning to drink my Starbucks because it was too hot. It's over 90 degrees outside, forget it. Staying in the air conditioning, feel like I'm going to die. And this fire is literally killing the people that are standing near it. So King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, 
Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Yep, that right there is power brought on by God's presence. God was truly present in that fourth figure, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived the fiery furnace. Incredible. Only through the power of God's presence was that possible. Who here has heard the story of the parting of the Red Sea? Hands, most of us probably, I would think, probably almost all of us. So Moses was sent by God to free his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. God sent the ten plagues. The Pharaoh let them go. The Pharaoh thought better of that, said, eh, I'm going to go after you. They pinned the Israelites up against the Red Sea. Moses raised his hands. God does his thing. We walk across on dry land, move on to Jericho. End of the story. Great. Awesome. I feel like we don't take time to truly reflect in the story of this, the great story that is the Israelites, on the moment of the Red Sea and about how powerful that actually is. Guys, the Red Sea is 1,400 miles long, 220 miles wide, and has an average depth of 1,610 feet. That's basically a mile deep on average. This is not... Lauderdale Lakes, this is not even Lake Michigan. This is 56,000 cubic miles of water. One cubic mile weighs 9.3 trillion pounds. For reference, that is 21,000 times the weight of Willis Tower in Chicago. And that is one cubic mile of water. We are talking about 56,000 cubic miles of water, or the weight of 1.2 billion Willis Towers. And God pushed this water back and allowed his people to pass. We see it in the movies. We see it in Hollywood. We think about it. The Israelites walk across in 15 minutes. Great, right? No, we talked about it. 220 miles long. This is held back, not for 15 minutes, for days. That is incredible. That is an incredible display of power. What about the life of Jesus? How about some of his miracles? Shout them out. Who's, what are some of his miracles? That was the first one listed in the last service. <laughs> Healing of the mother-in-law. Raising Lazarus from the dead. The blind man. The list goes on and on. Those are all an incredible show of his power, but I want to talk about one in particular. His, uh, his entire life was full of them, but one that happened just because of the presence of Jesus. So let's jump into Matthew for the story of Jesus healing the bleeding woman. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She had said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. I picked this miracle because it shows the power of Jesus' presence. 
This lady had been bleeding for 12 years. Some of you have not even been alive for 12 years. And with just one touch of Jesus' robe, she was healed. That is the power of Jesus' presence while he was alive. But today is the first day of Advent. And Jesus isn't born at this point in the story. So let's jump back into today's reading. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the, as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Guys, the baby leaped for joy. Leaped. Let's be clear here because the author was clear with their words. The baby leaped. It didn't kick, it didn't stir, it didn't turn over, it didn't move, it leapt. Normally at this point in the service, Pastor Tom would tell us about the Hebrew meaning of the word leap or something like that. Well, I can tell you, I know nothing about Hebrew, but I do know that what the word leap means in English. It means to jump. And we aren't talking about a little hop, we are talking about a full-on explosive movement. Let me tell you something else. Babies in the womb don't do that. Babies do things like move and kick. And we're not talking about like Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, Chuck Norris kicks. We're talking little baby kicks. <laughs> it's probably really for the best that unborn babies don't generally leap. Because I am sure all the ladies in this room can feel for Elizabeth and her bladder that just had a baby leaping on it. <laughs> but seriously... This is the power God's presence brings. We have talked about some amazing things that power does. Parting the Red Sea, saving people from fire and lions, and healing people. But there is a reason this story was our reading. Because as we join together here for the first Sunday of Advent, awaiting the arrival of Jesus, we need to remember the presence of God is a power so great that the presence of an unborn baby Jesus could cause the unborn baby John to leap in his mother's womb. If an unborn baby Jesus can cause another unborn baby to leap at his presence, how great the power of God's presence truly must be. Imagine the power when he is born and the power that comes at the conclusion of this story when Jesus made the greatest sacrifice, giving his own life for us, only to three days later conquer the grave. God's presence brings real power. Now stop for a second and imagine what that power means when applied to your lives, in your families, at your place of work, with your friends, and in your communities. God is present at every single moment of our lives, and his power is always there with us and through us. I read somewhere that God's intent is to fill every time, every place, everywhere with his presence 
through his people. This is our calling. God wants to be present through us throughout the world, and with that presence comes power. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That could easily have also read that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he saved Daniel from the lions, when he saved people from the fiery furnace, when he parted the Red Sea, or when he healed the sick. But it reads, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God is always present. And there is real power in that. If God can save Daniel from the lion's den, can't he also help us heal the wounds in our family? Can't he soften those hardened hearts, show our joy for life at work, make our friends laugh, and help us combat hunger in the towns we live in? God's intent, guys, is to fill every time, every place, everywhere with his presence through his people, through us. We are called by God to allow him to be present through us every time, every place, everywhere. And I challenge you to remember that this Christmas season and be different. Because if you truly live like you know that God is always present and you know the power that presence brings, you won't be able to help but to be different. Your joy for the season will be unmistakable and someone is going to notice. You will make a difference in someone's life and God will be present through you. That is the power God's presence brings. Amen. God, thank you for so much for being there for us. Thank you for the power that you grant us, the power that saved Daniel from the lions, saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, parted the Red Seas, made this earth, healed people. That same power is available to each and every one of us, every day. Help us to remember that this Christmas season and at all times. Help us to be different. Help us to spread your word and help us to spread your joy. In God's name we pray, amen.